Hello, and welcome to G Talk and All That Jazz. This podcast is really the testimony of a friendship that spans over four decades, a friendship between two Black professionals that began in Harlem, New York in the mid-1970s. As young men, both learning from each other on how to navigate the sometimes formidable and unapologetic streets of Harlem, New York, both here and now, still standing with a wealth of transferable knowledge. As you join G and Jazz on their journey of reflection, listen. Listen closely for the true messages about friendship, morality, and brotherly love, because their trials and tribulations come at a cost. G and Jazz will share their thoughts and opinions on a variety of topics, from the love and relationships to family and politics, and of course, friendship. Again, welcome to G Talking All That Jazz. Enjoy the journey. Oh, and buckle up. Jazzy Jazz, what's going on, baby boy? Look, my friend, we are on the cusp of Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving Eve. I'm a vegan, so I don't care what people are cooking. (laughs) I don't care about the turkey, the ham, the Come on, man. None of it. It used to be a time, man, used to eat that turkey. Oh, no, Alice, God. I remember in 1430 Amsterdam Avenue from the Manhattanville Projects. I, <laughs> Listen, that turkey leg, I still <laughs> I still have the residue of the pork chops in my exactly. Gut. Don't forget the collard greens <laughs> with the ham hocks in it. You know, don't no. get new on us. We, no but you know, but you are a vegan though. That's it. So we, we respect right. that. Yeah, you know how it is, man. So um tonight we have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Michangelo Scruggs. Michangelo Scruggs came to Washington, D.C. 18 years ago to complete his podiatry residency at Howard University Hospital. Seeing Washington as a cross-section between the cities of East St. Louis, Illinois, and University City, Missouri, a near suburb of St. Louis, Missouri, the cities of his birth and upbringing, he decided to stay after residency and 10 years ago, he opened Footprint Podiatry Consultants, LLC, at United Medical Center in Southeast DC, the area of the city that believed his services to the community would be most benefit. Dr. Scruggs grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois, one of the poorest and crime-ridden cities in the nation, where he received an exemplary public school education in District 189. And later, he moved to the University City, Missouri, where he graduated from University City High School in 1992. Dr. Michangelo received a full tuition scholarship to Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, where he was a member of the famed Fisk Jubilee Seniors. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree in Biology and Pre-Medicine from Fisk University in 1996. Returning home to St. Louis after graduation from Fisk, Dr. Scruggs decided that he needed to serve the community that had helped him to achieve his goals thus far. He worked as an education coordinator for a nonprofit organization whose mission it was to provide counseling services, case management services, and education in prevention and treatment of HIV AIDS. He was successful in developing the education curriculum for the prevention of HIV AIDS 
and a treatment education curriculum for teens, women, and men who have been diagnosed with HIV AIDS. He formed a support group for teens, teens who are fighting against HIV AIDS called Fostering Initiative and Guidance for Helping Teens Fight. Dr. Scruggs also taught in the St. Louis Public School District as a substitute teacher before he himself returned to the classroom as a medical student. Dr. Scruggs enrolled at Ohio College Podiatric Medicine, known Kent State, known as known no Kent State University College of Podiatry Medicine in the fall of 1998, receiving his doctor of po, 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 come on, help me with that word. Doctor of Podiatric Medicine. Podiatric Medicine degree <laughs> in 2002. He went on to complete his residency, residency training in podiatric orthopedic medicine in 2003 and podiatric medicine and surgery in 2007 at Howard University Hospital in Washington, DC. In 2006, Dr. Scruggs became the first podiatry residency elected as president of the House Staff Association at Howard University Hospital. Post-residency, Dr. Scruggs worked as the manager of special projects of the Graduate Medical Education Department at Howard University Hospital. In this role, he provided the academic oversight, support, resource management, and supervision to 261 residents and 21 allopath allopathic, allopathic, osteopathic, osteopathic, dental, and podiatric and pharmacy residency program. Dr. Scrubs in double board certified in foot and ankle surgery and primary care in podiatric medicine by the American Board of Multiple Specialties in Podiatry. He holds faculty appointments as an adjunct assistant professor in the Department of Surgery at Howard University College of Medicine. Dr. Scrolls holds surgical and admitting privileges at United Medical Center, Howard University Hospital and Sibley Memorial Hospital in Washington, DC. He serves on several healthcare related boards within the district and most notably, he is a commissioner on the DC Board of Podiatry since 2017. Dr. Scruggs also provides podiatry services at SUM, which stands for So Others Might Eat, a nonprofit organization that provides food, clothing, shelter, case management, and medical service for the indigent population in Northwest Washington, DC. Dr. Scruggs also served as principal designer, CEO of McAngelo International LLC, a shoe handbag company. In October, 2017 through January, 2018, Dr. Scruggs took on the role of radio talk host on WOL 1450 AM's Real Talk Medicine with Dr. Mick, where he engaged listeners on all ages and demographics on a healthcare topics ranging from breast cancer to prostate cancer, to mental health, to HIV. Most recently in 2020, Dr. Scruggs ran for public office as an at-large candidate for DC Council. Dr. Scruggs, Dr. Mick, enjoys traveling, singing, serving his community. He's a life member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity 06. Dr. Scruggs is a member of 19th Century Baptist Church on 16th Street in Northwest Washington, D.C. and lives inward for in 
Northwest Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, followers of G Talking All That Jazz, let me introduce you to Dr. Michelangelo Scruggs. <laughs> wow. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I'm so sorry I chopped up your bio, man, but wow. Well, that's okay. You did a pretty good job, yeah. <laughs> I got, I, you know, if I had more time with your bio, I could have nailed it. But thanks to Jazz, once again, spending it late. That's why it's my first time going through it. I and think the, he did that on purpose, by the way. But I know he did. He's always trying to, he's always undermining me, man. He's and here comes the bus. <laughs> and here comes under. the bus. <laughs> every time I try to get out. Every time I try to get out. All right. So <laughs> we, 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 gonna, we, gonna, we, we got a very good topic today. And so we're going to continue our series on, on men's health. Uh, last podcast, if you can recall, we had a very um, important conversation about um, a taboo subject when it comes to male sexual assault. And we, well, based on the feedback that we, we received, we know that we have definitely put um, a lot of people on, a lot of survivors on the right path to um, their continued survival and uh, deliverance from the, the trauma. So in that vein, we want to continue on uh, with men's health, men's health. So we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some specific things around men's health and we're going to talk maybe it's like, like in general, but in the general sense, the health of black men continues to be the worst than, than any other group in the United States. On average, black men die more than seven years earlier than women do of all races. And black men die younger than any other group of men except for Native Americans. And let me give you some health disparities and some facts about um, health outcomes for African-American men. African-American men, again, are five times more likely to die of HIV and AIDS than white men. African-American men have the highest rate of prostate cancer in the world. African-American men are about 30% more likely than white men to suffer from strokes and 40% more likely to die from the stroke. Among men, 40 to 49, half of African-Americans and 30% of whites have high blood pressure. African-American men are about 60 percent more likely to develop diabetes than whites. And lastly, African-American men are likely to develop cancer that men from any other racial or ethnic group, more than any other racial group. They also have a, a, fair, a fair higher death rate, sorry, a far, a far higher death rate right. from most cancers, including oral and lung cancer. Yeah. So we can see that the health outcomes for African-American men, there is a huge disparity um, when it comes to our, how, our outcomes. So out the gate, we know the, the numbers, Dr. Scruggs. From your experience working as a podiatrist and, and dealing with um, uh, the chronic illnesses that comes with that, hypertension and diabetes, what do you feel are, are the main causes of some of these health disparities? 
Well, um, I believe that one, the uh, access, okay? And, and when I say access, in many communities, it's often difficult for African-American men to get the type of access to um, the healthcare that they, that they really need. And then also many don't really wanna to go to the doctor, okay? Uh, men are the last to go to the doctor. Um, and even when you tell us, well, what you have uh, could kill you, you say, well, I gotta die of something. So I believe that what we have to do is change the culture around um, acceptance and then also make sure that uh, African-American men are getting the checkups that they need and that sort of thing. Um, so, um, and then also I look at how we need to do more education because there are times when African-American men come to my office and I tell them, well, this is what's going on with you uh, as a whole systemically. And they're like, well, I didn't know this, you know, and, and I'm not just talking about men who are in their 20s and 30s. I'm talking about men who are in their 60s and 70s who really should have been educated on uh, annual prostate exams or, you know, how important it is to um, make sure your diabetes are under check or under control and that sort of thing. So um, the, the causes for, you know, diabetes and all of that stuff, while it can be hereditary and most often it is, it can also be environmental. And what people have to realize is that African-American men, uh, we walk around really feeling like we have targets on our back. So having to deal with the weight of the world on our shoulders and those sort of things uh, really make us focus less on our healthcare and more on what we have to deal with. Because uh, things that we don't talk about is the mental health issue and the suicide rate in African-American men uh, being as large as it is. Um, Dr. Scruggs, um, before we delve into this, I just want to know, um, what made you get into this field? Like, you know, is it something, that, is it a personal thing? What, I mean, what, what, what charged you to, to, to go this route, you know, as far as your career? Okay. Well, I've always thought of what, well, I can say, I used to say, well, because African-Americans don't generally take care of their feet. And I've always seen myself as a person giving in service. Uh, I believe that's my life mission is to serve. And so uh, that's why I wanted to go into this field. My uh, grandparents actually, when they would go to the podiatrist, um, they would come out being more bewildered and not really understanding uh, what was going on. So I thought that getting into a field like this, getting into medicine period, I'd be able to disseminate the information that was needed uh, so that uh, especially people, African-American people, people of color uh, would have a fair advantage uh, in being able to um, uh, meet the goals of their healthcare and meet the goals for, that they would have for survival. And really that's what it's about for me is allowing us to be able to survive in a climate where the odds really are against us. And that's from a systemic and historic perspective. So on, on a very personal note, so I, re I recently had a physical and I, to me, I got some bad news and, I, and it was bad news because um, of what I've seen in terms of diabetes in my own family. So okay. I went to the, to the physician and she told me that my 
uh, my my sugar level was borderline diabetic. Mm -hmm. So I I went on high alert because my father passed away from um, um, from stroke related to his his diabetes. I've seen my uncles get sick. I currently have three brothers who are challenged with it. And so I, I looked at myself and say, what makes me so special? Like this, it is it, 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 going to come after me next. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm trying to make some changes. What, what can you say to, to the men and our listeners and even to their mates? How can we can start this conversation to kind of make the changes culture, as you mentioned, so, so that we, as black men, we can engage the healthcare system in a trusting way. Okay. Well, um, first of all, just because it's something that happens uh, because of heredity doesn't mean you can't fight the illness. So a lot of people just give up when they hear a diagnosis and they're like, well, there's nothing I can do. There's something absolutely you can do. You're not down until the deed is done, as I said. So we have to really talk about uh, or center our efforts on educating uh, people how to take care of themselves, how to uh, manage their diabetes, manage other healthcare disparities, so that going down the road, they don't have to experience the same um, uh, calamities or the same mortality as did uh, you know their father or their forefather or some other man in their um, in their family or in their community. Um, so it really is. It comes back to educating uh, from a realistic and a holistic approach because oftentimes we talk about healthcare as if it's just something that's non-reachable. We put it on a shelf. But we have to talk about it in terms of all the other things that men have going on. You know, we can't talk about uh, diabetes without talking about exercise and without talking about eating right and having the right diet. And because when you do that, um, you know, basically your conversation becomes foreign. You also can't talk about people eating correctly when they can't afford to eat correctly. So you have to also operate within what they're able to do, you know? But then, but then again, like I said, it's about changing the mindset uh, of how to deal with these diseases because some diseases are absolutely, absolutely curable, such as colon cancer, if it's caught early. But a lot of men uh, don't want to go for that physical where you get poked, prodded and fondled, um, but it's something that is necessary. Because if things are caught early, you don't have to go down the same road as, like I said, other family members. Um, most, many of the men in my family have died of prostate cancer. But there are also men that it was caught early and they didn't die from prostate cancer. They may have died from something else or they might still be here. So, you know, intervention early, early intervention is key. Let's see. Um... Can you talk about the connection between diabetes and amputation? Because you hear a lot of people who are diabetic and if they don't take care of themselves or whatever, you know, it seems like they're cutting some parts of your body off. Can you talk about that connection? Oh, absolutely. So as a podiatrist, I do a whole lot of amputations. Um, Now, for many people, regardless of 
you know, how well they take care of themselves, how take care of their diabetes. Let me say for some people, they will receive an amputation in, in their life. Uh, however, the rate at which you will receive an amputation uh, or the uh, time frame between diagnosis and having an amputation can be uh, enormously uh, extended just by taking care of um, and, and trying to do the preventative things to keep your diabetes from escalating to the point where uh, you get an amputation. Because what people don't realize is that diabetes affects every system in the body. It affects your, circulation, your circulatory system. Uh, it affects your nervous system. And so what often happens is people who are diabetic, they will lose their, what we call their uh, protective sensation, which is their ability to feel. Uh, where when they do feel something, if at all, it is usually when the, uh, or when the condition has progressed to potentially an amputation. The other thing is circulation. So in diabetes, because circulation is affected, uh, a lot of people will uh, develop gangrene and other things to the toes because uh, of the lack of circulation. So that is the definite connection between diabetes and amputation. So as a, as a uh, say, all right, so, so we have some of our listeners listening now, right? Okay. They say they don't know their family history, that they're, they, and they don't, you know, they haven't gone to the doctor. What are some of the signs that a person would have that he may be pre-diabetic or diabetic? What, what are some of the things that he, should, he or she would be experiencing that say, hey, you may have diabetes? Is there okay. something you can point out? Absolutely. So uh, generally, we go with if a person's having numbness, tingling, burning sensation, pins and needles, sensation in the feet, uh, it's called peripheral neuropathy, but that is also associated with diabetes. Uh, if a person is thirsty all the time, uh, frequently urinates all the time, um, is hungry, like incessantly all the time, these can be markers for diabetes. Uh, sometimes uh, a person might notice that their skin becomes uh, drier and, uh, you know, look like you've been outside in a snowstorm in the summertime, you know, or look like you need some grease or some oil. Well, um, oftentimes diabetes will make your skin dry. So uh, these are things that uh, people uh, need to uh, look at, but I can't emphasize enough that especially for a man beyond 40, a yearly physical is essential because you're gonna uncover things in that physical that you may uh, not uh, uncover otherwise. And with the early set diabetes, you may not have any symptoms or you may not have any recognizable symptoms. So that's why the physicals are, are important. Great. And, um... What are some of the things that our men or women can do to prevent diabetes? Well, okay, so uh, they're, they're, they're diabetes, if it's hereditary, it's hereditary. You're pretty much going to get it. Okay. But diabetes, but there's also, a di uh, you can also become a diabetic, especially what we call a type 2 diabetic, from environment, from environmental choices. So if you eating up everything in creation, if your diet is off, if your exercise is off, uh, you can then, because of environmental hazards, develop diabetes. So in living in a, a healthy and clean life, it's about your choices, okay? If you're, if you're smoking, if you're smoking, whatever the substance is, 
uh, you know, so uh, that goes into uh, choices that could be more of a precursor for diabetes. And just because we're African-American uh, by birth, uh, we're set up for the de development of diabetes like nobody's business. And we probably are more inclined to develop diabetes just because of our uh, ethnic uh, origin or our ethnic background than other uh, ethnicities. So kind of switching it a little bit. All right. Um, in terms of being a, a, a caregiver as a physician, okay. and we hear how um, um, minorities are impacted by implicit bias. Right. Have you yourself been um, someone who has shown some implicit bias or do you see that in your field as well, in podiatry as well, the imp implicit bias that exists? Okay. I don't show any implicit bias when it comes to caring for a patient. I believe in doing my patient no harm, no, regardless of your ethnic background. However, I can't say that all of my colleagues have practiced this. And I have seen implicit bias um, from them, but just implicit bias in the system, the way the system is designed. Uh, oftentimes, African-Americans, when you go to a doctor, you go there not just to be treated, but you also go there to be educated. And oftentimes, the educational component is not achieved in a doctor's office visit. You have cultural barriers, you have language barriers, you have um, doctors who try to speak on doctor level to patients. And so therefore there's that barrier that uh, doesn't exist. So these things are by, or that's that barrier that does exist. So these are things that are kind of done by design. And what I challenge all of my colleagues to do is make sure that your uh, patients are able to hear you and understand you and that you hear them because Oftentimes doctors will prescribe medications and treatments at a level where a patient either cannot or will not be compliant to meet that uh, treatment regimen. For instance, if you know, a patient is juggling you know, rent and, uh, or mortgage and all of the other financial things, but to tell a patient, oh, well, you need this, but it pulls another $400, $500 out of the patient's uh, pocket that they really don't have to spend, they're not going to be compliant in getting that, uh, that or complying with their treatment regimen, you know. So I, I, I tell doctors, in order for you to be effective, you have to ensure that the patient is in a place where whatever your remedy you are suggesting, whatever treatment you're giving, they're able to uh, respond in kind and comply because you've uh, developed a plan that's going to work for them and not for you, the provider, to just get them out the door. And, and, and a follow-up question is that, how do, how do we get Black men to engage the healthcare system more? Because we do know that there are some historic factors of trust when it comes to healthcare um, and how Black men were treated, specifically the Tuskegee experiment. And so that seems to still linger in Black men uh, minds now. I know even for myself, it makes me very leery when it comes to um, care, physician care, how can we break that break that cycle, or can we break that cycle? Well, we can break that cycle, but it requires uh, speaking up and speaking out. And when you feel like you're getting disparate treatment, or 
not the proper treatment, you need to go to a physician that you feel you can trust and feel is going to provide you the uh, proper treatment. Uh, so often people keep going back to the doctor that they're like, well, I don't really like that doctor. He doesn't, uh, he or she doesn't do what I need them to do, but yet you still keep continue to go. And I explain to every uh, patient, you have a right to choose who you will see or who will see you for your medical care. And you need to exercise that. Um, trust is something that is developed between a doctor and a patient. And this is something that cannot be taken lightly. And, you know, I, I even tell patients, if you don't trust me uh, or trust what I'm telling you or trust that I have your best interest at heart, then see another doctor. Go somewhere wherever you believe that you are going to get the best care. And, that, and, and, and having that trust and developing that trust will make you more likely to not only go to the doctor, but will make you likely to comply with what the doctor has suggested uh, for you. So that's how we combat that. We 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 have to take we have to take charge. So, so so Dr. Scruggs, we said a lot on this podcast so far. Um, if if there are one or two, one to five things that if no one else they don't remember anything else you said, what are one or two things or one or three things that people should take away from what you said regarding um, diabetes and health and so on and so what are some of the things that if you don't remember anything else that they should definitely remember or they should definitely do okay one you are in charge you the patient are in charge of your health care okay while everyone else can have the best intentions for you you are responsible ultimately for your health care you're responsible for whether you live or die in terms of the decisions you make so you have to, in, in having that responsibility, you have to make sure that the doctors you choose, uh, you trust, and that they are treating you according to what's current uh, and, and, and the current treatments that are the universal standards in whatever field of medicine uh, they're treating you in. Uh, so that's the first thing. You have to be in charge of your health care. Two, um, you have to show up. You know, you can't put off your health care as if you're going to have another day. You know, today may be your last day because of a decision you made today not to seek medical care for something. So you have to show up. Um, number three, and this is important, don't be afraid to read up on uh, your medical condition or if you're diagnosed with something or if you have a concern about something, you know, now we have the internet, now we have Google, now we have all of these, uh, you know, uh, things available to us, these mediums available to us, we need to use that. We, and, and we need to ask questions, you know, when we don't understand something. Don't just let someone uh, give you a treatment plan and you not ask questions and you're just going along with it because of your trust. Ask questions if there's any aspect you don't understand or any aspect that has not been thoroughly explained. So if you do those three things, you should pretty much be okay. Excellent. And before we close out, um, tell us about some so others might eat. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. So others might eat is a um, is really a faith-based uh, non non-profit um, organization that provides uh, care to indigent or homeless population, but they, they go a long way to ensuring that, you know, people have a place to live, 
uh, you know, food to eat, clothes on their back. Uh, but they, what they also um, do a lot of, and they, they touch on is the mental health aspect that's so often disregarded in especially the African-American community, but all communities. Um, they, they touch on that in terms of providing services for substance abuse uh, and uh, all the other little uh, things that people take for granted in terms of uh, your mental health and how different things affect your mental health. So that's a really big component that, what, of what they do. I provide podiatry services, uh, I would say quasi-charity. <laughs> Um, because, you know, it's more of a stipend, stipend than a payment. Um, but I do it because uh, of my desire to serve. And there you, and, and in that, in the medical facility, you have people who really have a desire to, to serve more than just uh, be an employee there. They, they have a desire to serve and serve the uh, indigent population um, and, and really put help where there's needed. So it's a great organization. There are many other organizations in other cities that are like that, but this is the one that I've thought uh, did the best in terms of what, um, how they could help me to provide uh, care uh, for their uh, their population, um, and so that's why I decided to go along with some. Excellent. So, so I do, I, go, I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead, so, I do want to ask one more question before we before we wrap up, and I know that Dr. Scruggs is is political. To a point. I'm not political. <laughs> so I do want to ask um, just a just a, a question. Mm -hmm. So we we see we, we are we are at a point in our society where because of uh, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, it seems or, or there is a a new reckoning that a new movement that's causing a reckoning in this country to address specific issues around. Um, the needs of African-Americans, to speak very specific to African-Americans and their needs. Initially, but now what I'm seeing, uh, you know, some time has, has um, passed and some of the tension has kind of subsided. It seems like now it, the language is changing to black and brown people. Mm -hmm. And so tell me your, your thoughts on that. And, and does that make a difference? Does that make a difference to to lump to lump all groups, black and brown? That can be Latinas, Latinx. That can be um, East Africans. That can be continental Africans. What, what should, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Does that does that help in terms of uh, um, addressing the health outcomes for African Americans, or do, could that hurt? The well, well what, I, what I believe, and thank you for the question, I, what I believe is, first of all, I believe that being addressed as a color objectifies you as a color and not as a person. Um, you know, there, there are other, thing, other um, definitions or other connotations that have been used to identify us in the past. And to me, being objectified as a color is no different. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I think it, it, it doesn't change the narrative uh, to anything positive for me. To me, it furthers the narrative that we are considered objects uh, in this society. Uh, unfortunately, I cringe when I hear African-Americans or 
and I've not really heard Latino, Latino, the Latino population as much or Hispanics say this, but I cringe when I hear African Americans refer to themselves as black and brown people because I often equate that to the term of slave uh, because it was a definition that was used to objectify us, but now they're just keep making it cute as though it's just a color. Um, and in, in no matter what field you look in, medicine, law, whatever, uh, it to me it furthers the minimization and marginalization of us as a people. So uh, and it groups us together as a color because I like to think I'm golden, I'm black and golden, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I'm golden. Uh, and so I, I I think it one dimensionalizes us if if I can use that word. It makes us a one dimensional character when we're so much more than that. And it, it makes us start looking at ourselves as one dimensional. And so when you feel that you're a one dimensional character, you don't seek the justice that you really deserve. You almost accept what people say you have to deserve because you're this one dimensional character. So, you know, I personally don't see the difference between black, brown, slave, or the N word because they're all used to objectify us. And we have to be careful about how we allow ourselves to be objectified by, by uh, other races. Because I'll be honest with you, I very rarely hear uh, Caucasian Americans call themselves white. I mean, I don't care. I mean, but you, you hear African-Americans use it as a badge of honor. I'm black, I'm black, I'm black. But really what you're saying to people is that I have an identification sticker on me that defines me or defines me as a one-dimensional entity, but not as a person. So, uh, did that answer your question? That answered my question. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Scruggs, I mean, it was, it was, it was I want to say, on behalf of G talking on that jazz, we really appreciate you taking the time out to come on our show. Absolutely. But if people wanted to get in contact with you, you know, and learn more about some, so, 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 um, um, learn about more about some, how can they contact you? How can they learn more about these these uh these charities that you're doing? You know, you know, how can they reach out to you? Okay. So uh, my uh my I guess my website for the practice is www.footprintpodiatry.org. That's F-O-O-T-P-R-I-N-T-P-O-D-I-A-T-R-Y.org. Uh some is uh S-O-M-E org, I believe. Um, and if people want to, for the time being, read more on who I am, uh, they can look at my campaign website that I recently ran for DC Council at Large. And that is www.drmicdccouncil.com. And they can just find out more about me and the platforms that I was trying to do there, because basically that is who I am. So that's where they come up. We appreciate you, Dr. Scruggs. Sure. Jazz, what's your your final remarks, Jazz? Final remarks is that um, we have to begin having these conversations around men's health. We have to engage our spouses. We have to engage our family members because um, we are in crisis. Black men are dying younger than any other groups. We are um, being impacted um, uh, in terms of our health, poor health outcomes by chronic illnesses more than any other group. Um, we are suffering from cancers that normally 
even cancers that are normally Caucasian cancers, we are dying at higher rates um, from those cancers. We are dying exponentially from prostate cancer. So we have to, we have to sound the alarm. And it, and it starts, as Dr. Scruggs said, it's like personal responsibility. So if you know, we begin to have this com these conversations with ourselves in terms of men and with our loved ones, with our spouses, with our families, then we can um, change the, I would say the behavior of men because yes, we grow up in this um, machismo uh, society where we have to be tough and we're not gonna go to the podiatrist until our feet is killing us. We right. have to go to the dentist until, oh my God, it's now it's that, it, right, is that, and now mm -hmm. it's just, you know, how much can a physician do to um, change that outcome? So this is a, a very important important topic. And Dr. Scrolls, I, I thank you for coming on and, and sharing your, your wisdom and your, your knowledge to our show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So listen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining G talking all that jazz. I'm G. And I'm Jazz. And this is G talking all that jazz, and we're out. Peace. Thank you.